following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Today is Shushan Purim, still continuing uh, in the spirit. So I didn't bring any alcohol, but I wanted to talk about just interesting. It came up yesterday's question. Hello, hello, welcome. Hello. Good to see you. Happy Shushan Purim. Happy Shushan Purim. Thank you, thank you. It's all uh, organic. We're on an organic one. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the, the Shulchan Aruch actually is a question. If someone damages someone while in a drunken stupor um, on Purim, so what's the halacha? Do they have to pay? Or not? You go to someone whose house, get drunk. On Purim. So interestingly enough, the Shulchan Aruch states... Are we stating this? Yes. Not yet. In a second. <laughs> so, please. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. So it says like this. It says, this is, this is actually in the Shulchan Aruch itself. This is the, sh- the text here on top. is written by Yosef Cairo in the 1100s. So the Shulchan Aruch. And then the commentary on the bottom is the Chafetz Chaim, known as the Mishnah Brewer Commentary. So the Quran of Law says like this, it says, First of all, interestingly enough, he discusses also cross-dressing, as we mentioned in the past, once we're on the topic. Cross-dressing is usually prohibited. It's a biblical prohibition. But on Purim, the Shulchan says that uh, people that, that wear uh, men wear women's clothing, women wear men's clothing. On Purim, there's no prohibition. Since their purpose, their intention is for joy, that's fine. No, the Torah only prohibits it if it's for perverted reasons. If it's for joyous reasons, that's good. Okay? Well, the definition of joy, I guess. So, uh, um, now, Yeh Shomrim, uh, so he says he brings that others do argue and say it's still prohibited. Minak is for Hashem, the Minak. Custom is like the first uh, opinion which states that you're allowed to cross-dress on Purim. So we have something to look forward to the next year. Um, he goes on to say... Mm-hmm. I'm exactly what I'm looking for, but here it says, interestingly enough, it says, he says that people that grab stuff from each other, Derek Simcha, on Purim, that's not considered stealing. Um, and he also says if you damage on Purim during a drunk, drunken stupor, you, you don't have to pay. If it's small damage. Okay. So as you see, that's, it's questionable exactly why. Why that's permitted. The assumption small. is... Um, Right, and I need to find small is a good question. Assumption is, so it's interesting, because they, the people that argue say that, you know, it's meaning all these laws came from one, meaning even the issue of cross-dressing and discusses also wearing shatnas, a custom that has shatnas, it all comes from the same source. But the assumption is if, because it says by stealing, if you're not stealing, by damaging, if you damage someone on perm, you don't have to pay. So the assumption was, you see, for a mitzvah, if your intention wasn't your intention, it's okay. Which, which is troubling. So they talk about, meaning it says like this, uh, so the, the reason, the explanation they give is that 
the assumption is um, that when you invite someone to your home in Purim, you know, since it's a mitzvah to get inebriated in Purim, so therefore there, you know, there's a good chance the guy is going to end up puking on your couch. <laughs> um, you know, during the if, if since everyone's breaking, drunk, breaking a lamp, or breaking a lamp, right? Name. When they're dancing. So, so therefore, <laughs> um, I have my rabbi jacket actually, first one. Uh. So this case. must have happened in your house, right? Yeah. It's happened many times. That's why we don't invite people in. <laughs> yeah, I meant to ask you about it. So, so the point is that, that, so therefore when you invite them, meaning you understand, it's sort of like there's a built-in clause, a mechila clause, which means you forgive them initially. So you know, that only works for money, meaning for money, because damaging itself is not prohibited. What's prohibited is obviously it's a monetary um, obligation. By damage, you have to pay monetary damages. But the assumption is, if you invited me, knowing in my inebriated state, knowing there's a good chance I'm going to be drunk and damage will occur, so mm-hmm. therefore, the assumption is you f- are forgiving, I don't know what the legal term is, like retroactively, um, the damages. Mm-hmm. Okay, and therefore, again, small damages, you don't have to pay. The assumption is any, it's a little damage, person forgives, and therefore, no payment is necessary. You claim, you claim oh. innocence <laughs> under the influence. Oh, right. this so, Jew. <laughs> such a good Jew. How are you? Wow. I know, two in a row. Hi, how are you? Hello, how are you? Everything, where I know you're vegan, this guy, so yeah. you gotta have some plate. Utensils. Um, so, so that's, so that's just an interesting halacha to, to know for next year's Purim that um, small damages assumed um, the person is forgiving, and therefore, um, therefore you didn't get out of the hands of it. On the very same note, we're gonna we're gonna cross over to this topic, which I don't think we've done this here before. We mentioned various bits, bits and pieces, but this is known as the uh, question of in the New Testament, it's known as the Good Samaritan, which obviously the source for that term is the New Testament. I don't remember uh, my New Testament, my Matthew, so well, but it's uh, there is a, um, some kind of story where someone helped another, and five will call them good Samaritan. Um, what's interesting, as we'll see, is Halacha does discuss not those terms, but it's very relevant, practical law, and to monetary law too, as we'll see. Yes. When you say Samaritan, what do you what Hebrew word are you using? I mean, is there a? I'm not. There is, is there? Oh, well, no, there happens to be a word for Samaritan. Samaritan, by the way, was a group of, of course, Jews mm-hmm. known as the Sh- um, do you remember the Hebrew term? One second. Samaritan is the Shomorim. No. I remember it. will come back in a second soon. Brian, Basically, it was Brian a group of Jews <laughs> who didn't believe in the, in, the, in the oral law. And they, were, they left mainstream Judaism. They started their own sect. The says they actually, the, yeah, the, many of them to put the tefillin in there. But they actually, some of them, they, there is a group in Annapolis today who still calls themselves Samaritans. There was a group in LA claims they were also Samaritans. Um, but basically, they didn't believe they 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 were Jews originally who didn't believe in the oral law. They only kept the written Torah. Okay, and therefore, until to the group in Shechem today, it's Arabs. They're no longer. They all intermarried and they consider all Arabs, they actually um, keep, they bring a carbon Pesach, and on Arab Pesach they bring a sacrifice, even today, on our reason, how are you? 
<laughs> when you say they bring it, they bring it to Jerusalem? No, no, they uh, do it on their mountain. Grizim, it's called Mountain Grizim. So it's still, that's an interesting group. Those were the Samaritans. I, I'm assuming they're related to the same Samaritans that's called in the New Testament. I'm assuming that. Have you, have you been to this class? You did it? I know with attorneys. What? This class. Have you been to it? I don't want to. I, I haven't been. been. Okay, good. Feel bad if you they hear me twice at the same time. Um, okay, so so uh, the issue is like this. Is, um, first of all, there was a famous, I didn't put it down, there was a famous case, the Genovese case, I think it was 1969. Um, I don't want to age myself. That's the New York one? Yeah, yeah where yeah. this girl um, was uh, being murdered, viciously murdered in mid Manhattan, and people heard her scream, it was all night long, but no one called the police. This was in 1969, and, and um, because of that case, um, Many remember witnesses came forward. They heard these screams, and no one ended up calling the police. They they passed many states afterwards passed laws known as the Good Samaritan Act, because people um, are scared to come forth many times when it comes to actually murder. But as we'll see, even any type of rescue, because they're scared of getting their lawsuits and also of getting involved in many cases. But law enforcement afraid that the criminal will come after them. That's, that could be true too. I think that's so. So, this, so because of that case, as we'll see, many states passed Good Samaritan laws. Now, as we'll see, the Good Samaritan law um, in almost all the states does not require you to rescue. Good Samaritan law just tells just tells you that um, if you do go and try to rescue someone and you um, hurt them in during the rescue, right, let's say you give someone mouth to mouth or the Heimlich and you break their ribs, you cannot be sued. That's really what the Good Samaritan Act covers. Um, if you see number five is the Texas House Bill 4, which um, I had the privilege of meeting the attorney who wrote the bill. Um, and um, he, this is, the bill says, person in good faith provides emergency care is not liable for civil damages unless the act is willfully or wantonly negligent. Okay, so, so, um, so the, all the state law is telling you is that you ha you're okay, you're protected if you go ahead and help the person. It doesn't obligate you to go to help them. So recently there was there was other cases, um, I believe it was in Kentucky, there was a, a woman, a girl literally being raped on a street corner midday and no one stopped. The bus actually even says school bus passed by and kids were pointing like no one stopped um, for it was going on for like half hour and nothing happened. Um, so the law, all the law does is, again, it protects you from, um, if you do help, it protects you from not being sued. But it doesn't require you in any which way to help, as we'll see, which is very different than the Torah. I thought yes. that was a different, I thought the, what drove this American case was the uh, fact that somebody did get sued because they, you know, pulling somebody out of a burning car and they ended up damaging yeah, the guy's there, neck. there I are mean, cases where, mm -hmm. yes, so this all will, yes, that is true. Many cases people were sued. Um, okay, so so what's very different, Western law, as we'll see, I, mean, I think we've mentioned this in the past, the Torah actually not only says well, you're protected, as we'll see, but it actually requires you to go ahead and rescue. There's an obligation to rescue for life, and as we'll see, it's even applied to money in certain sense to rescue people's money. So so very clear, there's two very, um, one very explicit verse, in Leviticus, and then there's another verse which is not as explicit, but we'll explain both of them in a second. So, verse number one in Parashat Kedoshim and Vayikra says like this, 
The verse says, you shall not stand on Levi while your brother's, brother's blood is being shed. Very clearly from there, the Talmud says, there's an obligation to rescue. It means anytime um, you can somehow save a fellow person, you're obligated to do that. Okay? Um, it's a biblical obligation. If you don't do that, you're violating this, it's a negative commandment, um, which is a serious, a pretty, pretty severe commandment. It's all kosher. So, I believe it's with kind of, all due it's respect, kind of okay, I don't see the, the <laughs> With all due respect, do am I required to save a female? Yes, even a female. Why do you? Have to I'm, I mean, I'm wondering. Yes, hundred percent. Oh, because you're saying if you get someone out of sw- out who's drowning, so and actually, that is and the is, Okay, so so then, or, so then. <laughs> So, so then the, I'm I mean, having a Heimlich right here. And you no, 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 because I mean, to, so, so do you non-Jew? Do you, I mean, yes, are you so obligated so for any Let's first discuss anybody? females. I mean, yes, let me I don't so mean Let's it. not discuss females. Yeah, what you mean is more is like human beings created by God. It's important to explain what I'm wrong is. It's important to point that out wrong. I'm not married. This is what I learned. You just stop the conversation. What happens if a rabbi and a woman are... Let me explain. You just stop the conversation. It doesn't go anywhere positive. Let me explain. Let me explain why um, Scott is 100% wrong. Yeah, that's why we have my mom. No, let me explain. Okay. Not a valid question. I'll explain why. The Talmud actually uses what you just asked as an example of idiocy. No, explain. Not, nothing personal. <laughs> no, it's a great. So the, the Talmud says that it says there were people who, who thought, who might have thought like you and said, if a woman's drowning, listen, it's prohibited for me to touch a member of the opposite sex, not my wife, so I can't jump in to save her. Says the Talmud, that's what's referred to, the Talmud refers to that person as a chassid shoteh, the idiotic, yeah. pi- a pious idiot. Chassid means pious one, shoteh, an idiot, okay? Also, or lack, lacking Where is cognitive it said? Where ability. Is it said? The Talmud, the Talmud, the Says someone who says that, listen, I'm not going to say her, it's a woman, I can't jump in and save Because, listen, the law says you can't touch women. Obviously, that's called a pious fool. Tom says you're murdered, it's a murder. If someone would allow, if you allow that woman to die, you're murdered. I mean, technically, you killed her. Okay, so it's, so, you know, it's, there's a limit to, to how from you got to be. I don't have a problem. Okay. It's a limit to being from. So, so, uh, and you have so to have mouth to mouth resuscitation? Yeah, I'm saying that's what I'm saying. I have to see that. <laughs> now, and then are there certain situations where I can say, you know what, I could save her, but he, or him, I could save somebody. I'm not, I could save somebody, but you know what, I could also die. So you know what, I'm not going to do it. No, so that's I'm a good question. Ready. So we'll get to that. That's a question of risking. You don't know how you're not obligated. You're obligated to save someone. It's a biblical obligation to save to rescue someone. If you can, if there's any risk to your own life. In you the can't rescue, swim. You don't yes. Have to go so then, the on the contrary, that's also your pious fool. If you do go ahead and risk yeah. your life to save someone else, it's also where it says over there. It says similarly that uh, you're, not, you're not allowed to. If there's for sure risk to your life, meaning, meaning it's interesting because in Western law, Western not law, Western society, you're a hero. Right? If you take the bullet for the president, you're a hero. Judaism says you're an idiot. Right. <laughs> okay. Because you're not a hero. <laughs> because uh, because you're you risk you you have no right to forfeit your life. Okay, you have no right to forfeit your life 
to save someone else. Like just like any mitzvah. <laughs> just trying to. Right? <laughs> just like any mitzvah. The mitzvah is um, only, of, of course, you don't risk your life for a mitzvah. Right. Yes. Okay, you don't risk your life for a mitzvah. So like any mitzvah, you're not obligated to risk your life. And you're not allowed to risk your life for a mitzvah, except it's the big three. You're not allowed to risk your life for a mitzvah. So, so too, this obligation to save someone else's life, you're, you're, you're not allowed to risk your life. Okay, now, obviously, there's a certain level. Everything is risking. A person who's, you know, you can't, you can say, I don't want to drive in 610. It's a risk to my life to save someone. Obviously, the, you know, everything is today. Saving a woman can be very risky. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if she may come after you and say, oh, my God, he touched me. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, so like, there was, like those people in the boat that were saved, that the captain had to make decisions who... Not to say the boat, they had to throw some uh, overboard, and then the survivors came up to him because he allowed that to happen. So he saved. Do you remember that? Real case? Or yeah, the real it? case. You, you taught us that. Yeah. Case. Oh, yeah. It's in Israel. The Prime Minister has bodyguards, and then we assume theoretically we'll take a bullet. The only, the only assassination was Rabin, and mm-hmm. he didn't take it. For that one, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. First of all, Israel is not Allah. What I'm saying is a good question. The point is like this. So now, I'll tell you, there is a, there is maybe a hetero, which I've discussed in the past um, with, with different ethicists, which is war is different. So one can make the argument, take a vote for the president. It's like wartime. Meaning war, obviously, you risk your life mm-hmm. to save other life. That's what war is. You're, you're a fighting team. You're, you're dealing with an army. So the rules change. Okay. So it could be it's viewed as a time of war, meaning president so being shot. It's, it's in an act of war. I don't know. A, maybe. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. But I, mean, I guess you could not, in the U.S., where everything was a volunteer army, you could say you really shouldn't, from a Jewish standpoint, you shouldn't volunteer. No. The army. Well, no, it's protecting the country. Right. I'm not saying that. War is different in the country. War was saying you're allowed to everything. Obviously, if you join an army, you're risking your life. Torah has, right. we have wars. Judaism has wars, you have an army. Torah prescribes war as an army. So obviously, right, in those in scenarios, you're allowed to risk your life, even though normally, you know, it's a volunteer for a mitzvah. Or, you know, it's a volunteer, you're volunteering for them. Yeah, and he, listen, what about a police officer? It's a better question. Can this, this Jewish boy allowed to become a police officer? Or, or uh, you know, any fireman? So it's a, that's a different question. We'll get to risking your life for Parnassa, actually, is, is uh, might be allowed. It's a whole different class, but meaning for, for to make a living, actually there's an exemption, you're allowed to risk, take some risk to make so a living. you can be evil to evil. Some risk. Nah. Okay, so that's a different question, though, but let's stick to rescue. Actually, that's a whole different class of, are you allowed there's to risk? more topics here. Yeah, no, it's good. It's what a good is, topic. What is actually today's topic, anyway? <laughs> Monetary aspects of okay. this man. Okay, so, so, um, so again, so to clearly, biblically, there's an obligation. Okay, now again, Scotty's saying good. First of all, not about the woman, but at least you cannot risk your life. So that's good to know. Although it's good to understand is that the, the Mishburah, actually, many commentaries explain, even though the law says you shouldn't risk your life to save someone else, but it says don't be so strict with that law because one day you might need, you know, you might be, be in that situation. So you don't want to be so strict with that law because uh, you might need someone else's rescue. So, uh, um, but that is a valid point. So now this, there's another verse which says like this, um, the second verse where we learn out the obligation to rescue from the Torah, which is in Deuteronomy, which says, actually, this is out of context. It's talking about, totally out of context. It's the law of returning a lost object. 
Okay, so the Torah says, whenever you, we don't believe in the finders keepers, if you find something lost, you have to return it to its rightful owner. Okay, you shall restore it to him. Now, Talmud says, makes what's called a kalvachomer, perforing. That means the Talmud says, if someone loses their wallet, their monetary belongings, you have to return it to him. Surely if they lost, they're losing their actual physical self, their life, surely you have to, the biblical obligation to return it. So that would be another source for, to help someone, if you can save someone's life, you're obligated to help to save their life. Okay, so now what do we need two sources for, says the Talmud, Sanhedrin. Talmud goes on to say that why, the Talmud asks the question, if we have one source, the Torah doesn't have extra words. So if we have one source in the Torah to rescue, why do we need a second source <coughs> to rescue? And by the way, these are the sources for, in general, also, um, even for physicians. I mean, there's no difference in Jewish law um, whether you're a regular citizen or whether you're a nurse practitioner or a physician or, or you drive an ambulance. It's the same obligation. We all have equal obligations. It's a Torah for anyone. If you have the ability to save someone's life, you're obligated to save them. It just happens to be if you're a physician, you'll have much more ability to save lives because you went to seven years of school and, learned to, and learned, know much more to save lives. Right? You learned, you took a Red, uh, Red Cross course and you took, you know, you know the Hamels and and mouth to mouth, so then you have the ability to save lives. I'm not obligated to do that, to go to school to learn and save lives. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a mission to learn it, but if I do have the ability, whatever level my ability I have, like I said, if I don't know how to swim, someone's drowning, I can't save them, so then I have no obligation. The guy standing next to me, who has the ability to swim, he's obligated to jump in and save them. So, so, um, so there's no difference as to a doctor. Everyone has the same obligation, so to speak, to save, to, to rescue. Well, you just said that the second verse is taken out of context because it's about a lost item. So yes. how are we using that as no, the so, second so, so there's something called oh. 13 principles of extrapolation. Right. So one of the 13 principles is what's called a kalvachorin. It means the Torah says X, and Y is so obvious from X. It's, you know, the meaning of Torah saying even X, you have to do the, this. So surely in the case of Y. So what we're saying is the Torah obligates you, a biblical obligation to return someone's lost object, physical object, surely you have to return their physical self, their, their life, if you can. That's the, that's the extrapolation. So, and it's the rice, it's a biblical obligation. So the question is again, what the... The 13th thing. Oh, it's, it's, well, this one's called Kalvachom, easy heart, meaning a easier principle, a, to a stricter principle. What is the 13th principles called? That oh, that it's, those are, that's the call, 13 principles. Okay, they're not 13 principles of faith. No. In civil law, we call that the code construction act. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to have an attorney. Um, so, so, uh, oh, so where was I? So, oh, so the point is like this. What do we need the two sources? Says the Talmud. It's coming to tell you. The second source tells you that those meaning even the, the first source, which says, don't stand idly by while your fellow's blood is being shed, will only obligate you to rescue someone if you're able to rescue them. What happens if I can't rescue them, but I can pay someone to rescue them? Okay. Do I have to lay out money to, to rescue someone? Okay. Because I don't know how to do that. I look at the guy next to me and says, we'll only do it for X amount of money. So do I have to pay them or not? Says, says the Talmud um, that from the second verse, just as the way it works is you find a lost object, you're actually obligated to lay out money to return that lost object. And we'll see, you get remunerated for it, but you have to, you have to even if it's going to cost you money to, to return it, let's say, it's, let's say you find someone's dog, right? So but if you're going to return the dog to him, you're going to keep it 
for two weeks till you find the owner or whatever it is, you're going to be feeding the dog. That will cost you money. So you're laying out money to, to return the lost object, you're still obligated to do it. Of course, the owner, as we'll see, has to pay it back. So the same thing would apply here. Um, that means if you can save someone's life, the only way to save someone's life, as it says, is even if you have to hire someone, then you have to do that too. You'd be obligated to do that. Okay? So you have to pay, you know, if you can rescue someone and it's going to cost you money, you've got to pay the money. As normally for a mitzvah, by the way, in general, the rule for a mitzvah is you're only obligated to pay um, for a positive commitment 20 up to, um, we said, a fifth of your net worth. Okay, for any positive mitzvah. That means, let's say, putting on tefillin. If you're tefillin, if you don't have any income, and your tefillin's going to cost you um, more than 20%, more, more than a fifth of your net worth, Okay, then you don't have to put on film. You're exempt from putting on film, doing the mitzvah, or any mitzvah, okay, any mitzvah that matter. You're exempt from the mitzvah, that's for a positive commandment. For a negative commandment, it says you have to lay out all your money, to give away all your money, not to violate a negative commandment. Okay, for positive commandment, it's only up to a fifth of your number. It's good to know, in general. Okay, now, um, um, So if you're really poor, you might have an excuse. Yeah, for mitzvah, exactly. Nice. You're exempt from any mitzvah. If they cost money, right? So here, what we're saying is, um, we're learning from this verse that you know you even have to hire someone, because from the first verse itself, it says you wouldn't know that. Okay. Now, what's relevant to business is that first of all, the son, the chinuch, who's a rishon, an early commentator, says that this law of rescue doesn't only apply to life; it also applies to money. Okay, that means if I see, for example, my neighbor's house is being robbed, his car is being robbed, and I can easily call the police, call 911, I'm obligated to do that. Because he says, when the Torah says, he interprets the word dam, literally means blood, but also that blood is another word we use for money. Dam is actually in Hebrew, it's the same word. Dam in damim, it's the same word. And therefore he says, the same would apply, you can't stand idly by if you see your friend's money being shed so to speak. So you're obligated to rescue your friend's money too. So again, neighbor, you see someone's car being robbed, you have to stop and do something about it. Again, you have to risk your life. Someone, you know, can get killed. But I'm saying if you can call the police or whatever the case, scare away, scare them away, you know, pump your shotgun, scare them away. Whatever it takes, again, without risking your life, you're obligated to do that for money too. So that's an important thing to understand. Well, is your, I mean, is your obligation the same in the sense that Obviously, if you can't... Save for money? Okay, for Let's say, for argument's sake, you're walking down the river. You're dressed up in a nice suit. You're walking down the river, and someone's drowning. You could swim, so yes, you obviously would jump in and try to save them. You can care less about your suit. But you see a wallet floating down the river, you have the same obligation to jump in there. No, so again, first of all, if the wallet, if your suit costs just as much as the wallet, you're not really getting, you know, I don't know if that... You know, if you don't have to, again, you don't have to lose your own monetary, anything, even for rescue. I mean, you're obligated to hire someone, to lay out money. And now you're not obligated to incur damages to your physical self or to your monetary self. Okay. Well, was for life you would? No, not, 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 not necessarily. Not necessarily. No, I'm saying you don't have to lose money. You might obligate to lay out money. As we'll see, until re you're reimbursed, but I don't know if you're able to get to lose money. Really? Right, I mean, same I'm thing. Brian can't swim, but there's a kid that can, so he pays him mm -hmm. to go save the person. There's a wallet. Does he have to pay him to go get the wallet? So, so no. Isn't that right about um, it? No, my question was I would, myself, if I was going to jump in 
ruin my, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a problem running in to ruin my suit to go save a life. Right, I don't have this problem to go save somebody's life. Right, so that's what I'm but saying. saying uh, you, in that case, that are standing, you depending on, depending just on how many times your suit will be worth more than what's in the wallet. Mm, There's no point. But let's say it's something, let's say it's a diamond. I have a meal of blind you know. somewhere in my Armani. <laughs> Okay, you're right. Depends, depends on, on the suit you wear. No, female right. Depends on the suit you wear. Is it a male wallet or female? Exactly. Wallet? I mean, you got. No, my, my misunderstanding. You by least. Maybe I'm misunderstood. I hope I understand. Are you saying that I would almost if I'm wearing a very expensive suit, I'm not obligated to jump into the water and save somebody? No, I'm not saying that. No, I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I said if your suit is worth less than the wallet, you might want to, might not want to jump in the water. Okay, that's the one. So you have to, obviously... The wallet's one thing. In the wallet, I can... Okay. Yes. No, for saving the life, yes. I thought you were saying the same thing saving the life, you're going to do whatever you have to do. Okay, okay. That's where I thought I heard you wrong. Okay. Okay, now... now. Now, now look, number two is important. So now, but, after all said and done... So by the way, I just want to make it clear. Again, in Western law, the state of Texas, and in almost every single state, I think, except one or two, you're not, you could see the guy drowning, you're driving to work, you wave to the guy, a smile, late for a meeting, you know, no problem. Did nothing wrong, according to Western law, according to, you can't take any, and you see the woman, the woman getting raped, whatever it is, you did nothing wrong, which is a very sad statement, as you see, in society. But, uh, but according to Allah, we're saying you're obligated to stop, and as we'll see, like we're saying, you'll be late to whatever it is. Missing no. a major meeting, a major deal is going to fall through. Still obligated to stop and, and jump, jump in to save the person. Mm-hmm. Now, how does it work with compensation? So the rush says, on the Talmud, he says, if the victim has the means to pay, he needs to reimburse the rescuer for the cost of the rescue mission. So either I hired someone, or like you said, I ruined my suit during the rescue. Whatever the case was, I, you know, I smashed up my car. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, or, you know, I got towed, you know, I parked outside the hospital. Got towed, um, right from the valley, you know, was in the valley lane, whatever it is. So all those cases is you have to the victim who you rescued has to reimburse you for for has to compensate you for your loss. Okay, but he says if the victim is bankrupt, then it's not the, you know obviously he doesn't have the money. That's fine. He doesn't have to pay. Okay? That would be awfully hard to ask them for even the money back. That would be. What do you mean? What? If I laid out my so you have a 20% burden, but they have to be bankrupt, meaning broke, negative, nothing, to pay you. Like, do they have to give you 20% or they have a dollar left? No, they have to pay. If they have money, they have to pay any amount of money. Once right. they're bankrupt, they have no, meaning they have no money. Right, no they, money. Bankrupt doesn't point, mean they're they chapter 11, but they still have uh, Right, so they pay you over time or... No, so not time. We'll get to the time. Okay. Right now we're discussing any... Man, any reimbursement of cost that it actually costs time is a different issue. As we'll see. Okay, so Jewish law normally requires the maximum expenditure of 20% of one's resources, and we just said a fifth, the fulfillment of a positive commandment, but it demands the sacrifice of all of one's resources necessary for the avoidance of the overt violation of a negative commandment. So it's interesting, in this case, if you think, do not stand out of the body, it's technically a ne- negative commandment. So according to some, you might have to give everything you got to rescue someone. Okay? Yeah, so the question is, is there a cap and how that works? Because basically, according to this, what we're saying is, if, let's say, God forbid, someone uh, no, has no health insurance and they uh, get cancer and you could pay for them, I'm saying you might be obligated to pay for them. So it gets, obviously, there's 
had to be a cap, and we'll, you know, okay. it's a gray area. So how we're not going into healthcare. That's a whole different, uh, whole different topic. Okay. Okay. Now the question is like this: What about liability? That means um, that means, let's say, while I was rescuing, I damaged someone else's property in the course of the rescue. Okay. So I, you know. And, you know, it's like in the, the standard scene in the movie, right? You need to take him to the hospital, so you, you know, you rip someone out of his car, take his car, right? You take his car, and then you smash up his car on the way. You know, you're going through red lights, you're speeding, and you smash up his car. So the, who has to pay for that car? Do I have to compensate the innocent bystander with damaged stuff in the rescue? Okay, how does that work? Okay, so, um, first of all, this quote here, have is from this is from a, an article in a law magazine that, that this point person is pointing out this question this issue it says our law says and this is American law that you do not have to volunteer to relieve others from dangers not to your own fault but if you do volunteer if you engage in some activity that is followed by harm such another and the court may let a jury scrutinize what you did and call it actionable negligence no matter how hard you tried many provide many people aware of this think it is much wise to do nothing at all. If you're under a duty to fees, the non-feasance can never be held actionable. But if you do engage in feasance towards, toward an, anybody, and under most circumstances, you must fees carefully. Moral, don't ever fees unless you have to. You want to explain what that first? What does it mean, fees? <coughs> fees not to fees? That is the question. <laughs> yes. You have a... Read that again. In, you read it in your... Uh, We're looking at number four. Yes. Basically, the point here is while she's reading it, is that, that meaning, since we're saying you're not obligated under American law to, to rescue, if you do rescue, there are cases you're putting yourself at risk, where a jury will have to decide whether you were negligent in your action or not. Therefore, meaning for your average American, basically it's better never to get involved legally, because you're always at the, at the risk of, of getting sued, and it's even with the Good Samaritan laws. Even though they're there to protect you, but again, if there's de if there's deemed negligence, right. then you then you can still um, be sued. So what does fees mean? Um, negligence on punish. That's how you translate fees. Uh, act, I guess. You know, if you just if you decide you're going to act, then you better be careful the way you act. I guess that's what. Okay. I mean, is that what that's Well, malfeasance is, 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 a, is a bad act. Well, non-feasance. It didn't say malfeasance. It said non-feasance. So, so fees must be an action. Right. Yes, yeah. That's what I'm saying. But the point, the, the, the moral of what he's saying is, is don't ever do an action unless you're obligated to. Because if you're not obligated, you don't want to take the chance. This is American. I'm just trying right. to contrast the American law with... Halacha says no. You can. You, you have to do whatever you can, and 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 you're obligated to do that. If you okay. don't do that, you're you're liable. But Halacha is legal, okay? So you damage the guy's car. Okay. Halakha. So now, so what happens oh. if you damage the guy's car? So um, so again, Texas state law says that a person who, in good faith, provides emergency care is not liable for civil damages unless the act is willfully, wantonly negligent. Okay. So it's up to the but, I, but I'm not sure that means a third party what civil damages. Okay. In other words, then uh, Samaritan has to. No, he's not saying you're obligated to help. If you do help, you're protected 
Okay. If you happen to choose the rest. Unless they helping is willfully or wantonly and negligent. So the issue no, unless, you unless you really do something stupid. Right, unless you, you uh, put something to the DA to cut open his chest. Uh, unless, you know, uh, could you not? Uh, so it's up to the DA to determine Yeah, or a grand jury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they have to press charges again. But the point is, um, by the way, there are this law has exceptions for physicians. Initially, we're not including the law. Any emergency care people were not including the law. Um, that means if you were a doctor, and you stopped, you're not, and you're not on duty, you're also, you wouldn't be protected by this law, meaning initially. Well, my question, my question. Let me just, let me just okay. explain this. Repeat the law, the state of Texas, it means if, you, if you're a physician, you're driving oh. to work, you see a car accident, and you stop to help, you were not protected initially by this law. Why? Because, because it's only for people who are not going to receive the remuneration. The law is for people, meaning for citizens. The is you know how to resuscitate somebody and do all that stuff yeah, better than me. But you don't have the tools. You don't have your tools. What I remember hearing from this attorney was they did change the law to include physicians also, but again, only in cases where they're not expected remuneration. I mean, if they're getting paid for what they're doing, they're not protected by the law. Now, let me ask you If they're not getting paid, then they're protected. I mean, a hand protected. surgeon wouldn't necessarily be held responsible for delivering a baby. For an OB-GYN, maybe would. Maybe, yeah, again, if Something they're, if like they're in a case where they expect, you know, if they're outside the emergency room, you know, so then uh, then they're protected by the law. If they're inside the emergency room, they would get paid. That's, uh, yeah. No, but what about in the sense, I mean, here it says they're not allowed for civil damages. Does that mean that the, <coughs> unless the act is willfully won, I guess that depends on the, on the victim. I mean, the victim, if it's civil, the victim's going to have to be the one to initiate, correct? Yeah. But see, what that's saying is... Yeah, that's what we're saying. It can't be sued by the victim. You might be liable that's the for point. negligence. That's just Criminal. a breach of an ordinary duty of care. What this is saying is you're not liable unless you're willfully or wrongly negligent. You have to do something really like nobody would have done that, you know. No, I'm right. I'm that, right. So, But that's just protecting from civil. Right. I assume this is not protecting from the criminal law. No, no not what well, would be criminal. What are you doing criminal? You know? What could be criminal? criminal? No, no, it's also civil damages. Well, unless you're a professional. Which means, okay, so the DA has nothing to do with it, really. It's, it's really up to the uh, victim who wants yes. to sue. Yes, but we're saying is he cannot sue. You're protected yeah. from a lawsuit. Unless um, in that case, exactly. Um, so now, I wonder how often these lawsuits come up. Do you know? Well, they used to come a lot. Now, because yeah. of the Samaritan ones, they don't. They're terrible. Um, what happens if you're like a what are they? Jehovah's Witness or some Christian scientist, and you give them something because you're trying to help, and they don't, and they. It's don't against what they do. Yeah, what we don't know who they are. Yeah, so I believe. So, no, I mean, can they come back and say, hey, how do you know who they are? No, I'm saying, let's see the guy screaming, I don't want to be treated. Oh. So that's a different oh. question. Which right. I, I can't believe you're still protected. I believe, according in Texas, they know you're still protected. If I remember, don't call me. Okay. You know, my continuing education hours require me Okay, so now yeah, I was reading let's this turn morning, to the back. I don't know if you saw it in the New York Times about a doctor in the med center who does bloodless operations on people who are Jehovah's Witnesses. It's in the New Today's New York Times because they can't, because of their religious requirements, take a blood transfusion. I've never heard of such a thing. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Oh, amazing. 
Right here in Houston. The Methodist Hospital. It's good to know. Thank God for that job. Yeah. Bring on that blood. So, uh, so the question is, um, so what about Allah? Take a woman's blood though? I might be as bad as a black person. That's right. You never know. You don't know. So, well, I mean, what, well, go into the list. There's got to be a hierarchy or some reason to go in or not go in. What about an not Arab squad? I don't understand what you're saying. Not to go in or not. Meaning who to rescue? There is a hierarchy of rescue. Right, but not to right. go in or not. Who to rescue? That's what I'm saying. That is. That's not that what happens. You rescue, uh, you rescue the rabbi happened. first if he's yeah, a man. Of course. Rabbi always goes first. Right. What if the rabbi is a man? Oh, she does I'm saying. I mean, you got you go in for one. You go in for the rabbi. I understand. 100%. But that's how you go in for your brother and your sister. In fact, she'd be worse. So we're not getting into There is a, by the way, there is a hierarchy. Not so PC, we're not going to go there. We don't care about PC. We want, we want to know what what's God wants okay, us to do. They say you'll never come back. <laughs> okay, so, so let's stick to the topic. Topic is, so now, how does it work if you damage someone else's stuff? So the first thing is, the Talmud, there's generally a rule, relevant to what we discussed before about Purim too, that uh, it says, Adam mu'ed la'olam. Okay, we discussed, I'm sure we mentioned this principle here in the, pla- in the past, which means the principle says a man is always liable for his actions. There's no such thing. We don't use uh, the... Uh, the devil. Right, the devil <laughs> made me do it, or sleepwalking, the guy is sleepwalking. No matter what scenario it is, you're responsible for your actions. Some, if you damage someone else's property in, in Jewish tort law, you're always responsible. You can't say, you can't use any excuses. Um, and that's what it says here. Man is always in the category of one who has been forewarned and hence is liable for damages. Okay, on the back page. Whether he acts inadvertently or willfully, under coercion or voluntarily, whether awake or asleep. So if you sleepwalk, you wake up in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, and knock over, you know, you're in someone's house, you knock over the bus, you're obligated to pay for it. You can't say, well, I was sleeping. Sleepwalk doesn't, doesn't no, work. No, he can say, I'm, I have IQ of 60. So that's on the else. Show to someone who is, doesn't so have cognitive ability. smart enough to come up with that defense. No, so, so that's on the else. Someone who doesn't have cognitive ability, that's, that is... There is a concept of that, oh, that's, you can't, you're not liable for your actions. But under coercion doesn't make sense because only under coercion for murder, you're supposed to take the bullet. It's, if someone's going to force me at a gun to go rob a bank or, or, or to damage uh, a building, I'm not supposed to take a bullet. Yeah, but I'm saying again, it doesn't make you not liable. You're, listen, you can't risk your life. Someone puts a gun and says, smash this guy's house um, or else I'm going to kill you. Right. So you... Yeah, you probably have to do it because you can't allow yourself to be killed, you know right. what I mean? But you're still liable for the damages. You can uh, maybe sue him to, uh, to, to get the money. But the point is you're always liable. A person is always responsible for his actions. No excuses. Um, but what it says here is, I guess, fascinating. They changed the law in this case um, because of the Good Samaritan. We wanted to make sure that rescuers go ahead and rescue and are not concerned that they'll have to end up paying damages. Therefore, says Maimonides, if one chases after the pursuer in order to rescue the pursuit, and he breaks objects belonging to the pursuer or to anyone else. So if I'm standing movie scene, I'm chasing the guy down the street um, to rescue, you know, so I'm chasing the pursuer to rescue him, to rescue the pursuit. Okay, and I steal someone's car to, to do it, or I have to break a window, whatever the case is, I'm exempt from paying. The rule is not a matter of strict biblical law of torts, but is an enactment, takana, 
made in order that one should not refrain from rescuing another or, or lose time through being too careful when chasing a pursuer. Mm -hmm. Because you want to make sure that the rest, when you have to rescue someone, you're not going to be concerned with, with damages, with tort. So you're going to say, well, listen, if I go down the street, you know, there's more cars and it might have more damage. So therefore, in order to make sure that you don't, um, you don't hesitate to rescue, so we exempt you of all, but technically you're liable. It says really, technically according to, excuse me, according to Torah law, you're liable for the damage. But because we want to make sure that you don't hesitate to rescue, therefore we're gonna we're gonna exempt you from all the pain. Probably the same for Purim. You don't want to hesitate to enjoy the the happiness, the ultimate joy of the holidays. So you don't want to have people worrying about getting I guess to. So. Uh, right? Yeah, Whether well, I to say, say to drink till you Listen, don't uh, Yeah, I'm right? saying it's again, you know, I can enjoy myself with my property now. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you, you can also be cautious and say, oh, I don't get too drunk because it's the one uh, holiday we write. Yeah, but I'm you. saying, first of all, actually, we want to get you, to get you so drunk. Got to be careful. Well, I guess when you think about it, like if somebody's laying there and I don't really know how to do the home removal, and I don't, and I don't really know how to like revive their heart, I'd be thinking, my goodness, if I do something, I could make it worse. So I guess what the idea is, is to say, look, if you're the only one around, <laughs> you know, you got to try. Right. No, it says that. By the way, it says the same thing, on, um, even in violating Shabbat. Um, we, we want, we try, this is called a preventative measure, meaning we, when it comes to saving human life, we, we go ahead and say we foresee the future, we don't want to make people hesitate for the future. So for example, another example of this would be actually says, and this is in action on Shabbat, they have these volunteer res uh, ambulance mm -hmm. corps in, in religious neighborhoods in New York and other places. And uh, they, of course they're allowed to violate Shabbat, but it's, the question became, what about after they take the person to the hospital, it's Friday night, and now do they have to walk home from the hospital? They're no longer rescuing people. Right? They got the person to the hospital, they saved their life. Now he lives you know, 10 miles from the hospital. Okay, drove the ambulance. What do you do? So you have to stay the rest of Shabbat and not have, you know, he's not a place to sleep. There's no, there's no permission to go home just because he wants his challenge. Oh, so if someone needs the ambulance, for sure. But a lot of them use their private cars. They come in their vehicles, and there's hundreds of these volunteers. So, so they are trained. So they, they no, you're right. If you brought the ambulance, obviously he has to drive back. Let's say he came with his own car. Okay, he just brought the guy to the hospital, a woman in labor, whatever the case is. So can he drive back now, or does he have to walk back 10 miles? I was really, you're saying, because he wants to have his child tomorrow, his good child, we're allowing him to violate Shabbat. So how does that work? So actually, Moshe Faisi says, no. We allow him to drive and to violate Shabbat to go back. Why? Because the next time when his, you know, radio goes off, dispatch was asking for someone available. If he, if he knows he's going to have to walk back 10 miles, he's going to miss his child, he's not going to run as quickly in the middle of the night, Friday night. Therefore, because of that concern, we allow him to drive back on Shabbat. Because we don't want him to hesitate in the future of rescue. I think you meant That's to say he missed his wife more than his truck. <laughs> 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 That's a, it's a hard <laughs> one. <laughs> some, some, some don't, though, obviously. Maybe he's challenged. It's one and the same in your words. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, just to finish off, to address um, Brian's issue, he asked, what about loss of income? So, meaning I'm on the way to work and I see a car accident, I stop to do anything, so I'm going to miss my major meeting, major deal fall through, or my boss is like the fifth time, you know, this week I'm late, right, my boss is going to scream at me. So, so what about loss of income? Does he also have a right to be compensated for loss of income or not? 
from the victim. So, so the halacha says yes, rescuer is entitled to minimum wage, the minimum wage um, for lost minimum halachic wage. Explain what that means of income during act of rescue. So, um, so that means you you are compensated, but it's just that let's say you lost this major deal, we're not going to pay you for your major million dollar deal that fell through, but for the loss of time, so to speak, pay you for your loss of time, which is a very low wage, but you are entitled to loss of time. I wonder how you collect that. You know, you just I wonder how you even ask somebody. Oh, I mean, if it's a mitzvah, how, how do you even ask somebody? What happens if you lose your job? Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. I lost my job because I saved your life. Uh, minimum wage for seven you hours, job. it's a little different. Get you a new job. Oh, you're right, that's a good question, but number two, it says expenditures made by the rescue would be recoverable for losses. I mean, let's say I had to rent a car, whatever expenditures I had to do, like you're saying, your, your, suit, your suit, suit, right, your money suit got ruined. So all that would be covered, um, but the key term is only if res rescue operation is successful. Okay. Ah. <laughs> it means if let's say the guy died. He can't go to his family. He can't go to his estate, exactly. <laughs> and that's what it says, only rescue party himself, not relative. What a so, bad double so land, you're all depressed. Well, what's a successful rescue, though? Average. You get him out of the thing, and he's breathing on the shore, and he dies on the way to the uh, hospital. You did up. you still save him? And you no. did your best. Right. No, I'll tell you, so the you point is like this, because the mitzvah <laughs> is... <laughs> <laughs> Might have scored about some Herald. Did you mention the Herald of very nice. <laughs> so if you weren't successful, then, then uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, by the way, this is take a picture while he's alive and then Look, run out of the I was successful. We started a very general in regards to forum and your obligations yes. and your drunkenness. I was only trying to connect it, yeah. And we went back down to something very specific in regards to saving a life. In between, uh, what liabilities are there when you are performing other missiles? What do you mean? If in, the, if in the context of a mitzvah, I damage them, of course you have no right to, meaning a regular mitzvah, not yeah, rescue. Yeah, nothing specific. Of course, you have no right to damage, uh, I have no right to use, it's interesting, you normally, this one one allowance would be, normally you're not allowed to use someone's object without permission. I can't, even a pen. Right, if I walk to your office, if I don't ask permission, it's stealing. I have to get permission to use something that belongs to you. But, it says, if it's an object of mitzvah, I, am, I don't have to ask permission. So the assumption is you want me to use it. Let's say you're Talit, or you're Tefillin. If I come to Shul, I forgot my Tefillin more, you're not there, I'm allowed to use your Talit and Tefillin without asking permission. Well, but, if I put, but if I put my Tefillin... But uh, if it says it's something that gets worn, for example, books, in those days with scrolls, you, you sh can use without permission because they get worn out. And then... But what if I let's say Mark would say, I, I did the best, I'm, I'm helping somebody who doesn't know Tefillin, so I'm help him do Tefillin for the first time. Put it pull it too tight. Or, or he breaks out in a rash the next day because of the leather. I mean, yeah, it's your... It's your problem. You're always responsible for your actions. Except we're saying a special takana. In the case of rescue, because... So what happened to Lot? What was his punishment? He was... His Look at his shorts when his house got destroyed. Oh, I mean, because he, he allegedly was drunk and didn't know what he was doing. So he's responsible for his That's actions. sex. Sex, uh, you're always responsible for your actions. <laughs> if you, uh, just because you're drunk. I mean, he doesn't say he was punished, does he? Um, no, no, I'm you don't look at him on a high basis for you know sleeping with his daughter. Not exactly. He's not put on a pedestal. Not one of the Bible superheroes. No, we don't name, one of the three. We don't name our kids after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, never met anyone named Love. Did you? Never met anyone named Love. I'm yeah, sure there's a reformed Jew out there that's gone with <laughs> that. Actually, it doesn't know any better. <laughs> so, but um, something I want to mention. Yeah. Oh, do you know? Do you know uh, Bobby Asarch? 
Of course you know Bobby is age. That's her offspring. Yes. I know, I just did the fact. I just, I just had Puru with her yesterday. Oh, uh, you're at the Wolfies? Mm-hmm. Were you there? Yeah. No, but um, I was at DJ's. We were just talking about the hierarchy. We just gotta go. See, I always tell you. Where were you, Brian? I was at Valley Jewish Center, too. Oh, oh Belair, that's right, they have a big thing. Yeah, Very we had a nice turnout for the I mean, morning. We had at like one point, there were definitely over 100 people. Yeah, and I never thought they would be yeah, there. Yeah, is he? Former Torch, like a fine young Dude. man. Okay. Yeah. I love the little gigs going on. <laughs> and you know Sammy? There. Do you know Sammy Fleischer? Rabbi, uh, Ishikawa on your uh, I you handling big challenge of Yom Limud. He's there? Guns and Mazes. Which one? Oh, oh, yeah. It was fun. You don't let people ask you questions until you finish. No, it was irritating. Oh, they didn't yeah. let, of course, they oh, forgot. They had to cry. They didn't, they wouldn't let you finish. They had to beg them. Well, let me finish. The age one was their own. Or one whose negligence created the peril is a matter of pointed out, which is, so let's say someone, because of their negligence, got into that situation, still have a duty to rescue, for example. It's a machloket, but we rule, for example, someone uh, took drugs, or OD'd on drugs, or, or uh, they're bungee jumping, they're stuck on top of the, you know. Well, they take a right, so if their negligence, it's still, according to most opinions, they're still obligated to rescue, even though it's their negligence. Thank you.